Wicking Vicar is known for making high-quality, comfortable clerical shirts that make great gifts for pastors. But did you know Wicking Vicar also has great gifts for your little Lutherans? Just in time for Advent, you can get a wooden Advent wreath playset to help kids learn about Christ's incarnation. You can also pick up a wooden baptismal candle playset to celebrate your kid's baptismal birthday and teach them to sing, God's own child, I gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. Visit wickingvicar.com to see these gifts. That's W-I-C-K-I-N-G-V-I-C-A-R dot com. Listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Today on the podcast. Hey guys, do you remember that that one time that uh, (laughs) Chaplain Sean Denzer just walked in here that one time and like we just started talking about? Great. I loved having him. Wait, 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 wait. Is he back? Is that Chaplain Denzer at the door again? Hey, what are you guys doing? Hey, hey, man. Hey, come on in. Have a seat. Join oh, us in the sure? lounge. All right. That's at the okay. kitchen table. At the, the kitchen, kitchen table. table. Just kidding. We're not in the women's bathroom. We're at the kitchen table. <laughs> Sorry. Kitchen table. Let's make that clear. Yes, abundantly. Yeah. Oh, I guess today is a kitchen table talk episode. I guess so. While, he, while he's here, one. we while might as well. Right, we might take as well. advantage. Take advantage of Chaplain Denzer in studio. Hey, thanks for coming in. It's good to be here. So what do you want to talk about? I don't know. What should we talk about? Um, Something Christmassy. Ooh. Oh, I know, I know. It's like still early in the season, but it's on everyone's brain. So let's just admit it. Yeah. It's true. Hey, yeah, what about know, the incarnation? Pastors, they try to push it off as far as they can. You know? Ooh, the incarnation. Yeah. Ooh, that's yeah. that's fitting. Let's talk about the incarnation. Yeah. Let's talk about it. All right. So... Why is the incarnation important? Wait, wait, can we stop? Actually, oh, yeah. oh, I don't know. <laughs> wow, we didn't get is the incarnation. I just want to just want to acknowledge that not everybody always knows all this like fancy theological lingo. Me. So, <laughs> Chaplain Denzer, what is the incarnation? What is the incarnation? The incarnation, you can tell it from the words in and then carne, like carne asada and carnival. Meat? Meat. Yeah, yeah. So incarnation, which is a gross way to say it, but enfleshment, the fact that (laughs) it says it very clearly in in John chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us so that the son of God who is eternal has no beginning and will have no end, uh, but he has taken up human flesh. He's he's become incarnate. Uh, He is a man. Uh, born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, and so that uh, event, as well as that reality that he is a man, even still, this is called the incarnation. Mm. That is okay, cool. So now, why is it important? Why is it important? <laughs> it, it's, it's essential because it is an astonishing thing. It, if you were to ask, I suppose, any religion, you know, what what is God? Probably their answer would have to do with the fact that he's different than us. Hmm. That he's not the same as us. He, you know, if he's a god worth his salt, I suppose he probably created things. Probably us, the whole world, <laughs> universe. <laughs> five stars on Yelp. <laughs> Great God, five stars. Yeah, yeah, but but quite different than us, who we don't always get five stars. <laughs> you know, I think you hear the word transcendent a lot 
He's just yeah. automatically miles above us. So you wouldn't expect to see God mucking around with man, mucking around with human beings. Uh, but our God is a man. He's become a man. He's taken up human flesh, as the Athanasian Creed said, uh, mm. not by the conversion of God into a man. He's going to change his form and maybe it'll be a temporary change or that he's going to lose his godness and just be walk around among us for a while but that he's going to assume this humanity into his divine nature, mm. that he in fact has become man. Who is Jesus Christ? He is true God and he is true man. And one, this is astounding. It's an incredible honor, uh, but it's a, a also an incredible honor when you consider the nature of us as human beings, at least since the fall into sin, is sinful. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. Not only different than God, but also I mean, against him, mm -hmm. fighting against him. We talked enough about that, I think, the last time I was here. <laughs> so, um, yep. good. so then yeah. to see that our God has come into our flesh, he's, he's like us, able to sympathize with us as well in every way except sin. Uh, and, and he's done this, in fact, so that he could save us. There's a, uh, an old book, actually, that was written in the Middle Ages that the title of it is, Why is God a Man? Uh, and... The answer is so that he can save us because uh, we not only have a man who dies as our substitute, but we have God, if you imagine like scales, right? God is in the other side against our sins. That's the only way the sins of the world could possibly be taken away. And uh, that our Savior is a man able to to be one of us, to be in solidarity with us, able to be subject to the same difficulties we have, temptations we have, and especially to be subject to the same expectations of God, the law of God, uh, and yet to master every temptation and to serve and to love his neighbor uh, perfectly in our stead. Uh, and maybe the, the, uh, the mo another astounding thing that goes with the incarnation is so that he could die and offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world because you also mm -hmm. don't think of god dying mm -mm. yeah god right. is eternal that's one of his like key attributes yeah, yeah. he yeah. doesn't die but jesus died yeah he did in christ jesus he did yeah so uh, i mean the, the incarnation is what makes this possible the incarnation is it does it messes with all of those attributes of God that I learned as a kid in catechism class, mm. right? All powerful and all holy and all knowing and all these things. But but the incarnation really fiddles with that. Yeah. And, uh, and we confess it's because he loves us so much that he came into our flesh to be with us, to be with his creation, to not give up on us despite our sin, but to redeem us uh, entirely out of his free grace. So, so that's the incarnation. We think about it at Christmas time, technically speaking, that's nine months too late, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to ask, like, has there been any sort of debate on, like, when this actually occurs? Or is it just the important thing is that the incarnation happened? It's definitely the important thing that the incarnation happened. And so I think that's the number one concern. And you see this being a big question in the early church. This mm -hmm. is the this is kind of the reason we have the creeds and those councils mm -hmm. is the disagreements over who is this Jesus? Is he just a creature? Is he the best creature ever, but but still a creature? Is he eternally God, you know, the same as the Father? That's the position the creed takes. Sure. So, uh, I mean, from the scriptures. But, uh, I mean, you're right to ask the question, was it a newfangled idea that maybe actually the incarnation was nine months ago? And here's where the the worship guy in me can come out here for a second. It's really cool. This is a debate in another area, which is 
kind of the the non-Christians, the atheists, mm-hmm. love to kind of repeat that idea that Christmas is really the solstice celebration or mm-hmm. Mithros uh, uh, celebrations, and the Christians kind of co-opted it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jesus wasn't born in December, uh, certainly not on the 25th, blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe not. We don't exactly have his birthday written down. They didn't do that back then. They didn't care. They're, they're not as precise as we are. We've got calendars. They didn't have to remember it after five years anyway. Because you might. Didn't pull out like birthday cakes and candles once a year and just be they like. They were not. It's so you know, narcissistic. Yeah. I love a happy. Uh, hey, I love a happy birthday Jesus too, cake. Okay. Yeah. I just love cake though. Give me a reason. Cake. But but yes, even before we were celebrate, we as Christians generally were celebrating Christmas on December twenty fifth. They were celebrating something else on March twenty fifth, mm. nine months earlier. Oh. That was Jesus' conception and interestingly his death. So there was an old tradition that hmm. famous people died on the same day they were conceived. Hmm. Not necessarily true, as you're probably aware. <laughs> I think uh, there's probably like empirical evidence to the contrary. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> but it's it's kind of interesting. <laughs> regardless, you see that, I mean, with that kind of idea in mind, they were acknowledging that day, whether that's exactly precisely it or not, as not just his death day, but his incarnation day. And mm. it is out of that observation of that day that we get December 25th. Mm-hmm. So, so Christians actually were, in a way, celebrating his conception, his incarnation, first, even before hmm. they started celebrating Christmas. So you're using those terms inter- interchangeably, just yeah. to be clear. Okay. Yeah, I think so, because uh, this is the way the creed talks, uh, you know, who was incarnate, uh, mm. was conceived by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. Got mm-hmm. it. So. I just don't know big words a lot of times, sure. just to make sure. <laughs> Conception, we, we might have to talk about that another time. It's a longer story. <laughs> Ask your parents, Brie. Okay. <laughs> well... I think that's such a really wonderful pro-life statement, though, you know, that mm-hmm. we acknowledge that Christ was made man, not when he emerged from the womb, but when he entered it, um, mm-hmm. that that is when his humiliation begins. It's an interesting, I mean, I'm sure you do this, and uh, my husband does this, that oftentimes people will bow at that moment in the creed and was made man. Am I correct there? I am correct there, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I do that too. As a, as a way of acknowledging this great mystery and this humiliation that the second person of the tr- the eternal trinity would become a, an embryo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, I mean, just one thing that's kind of important to note is there is a distinction between the humiliation and the incarnation. Mm. So to be incarnate simply means to take up huma- humanity, to be a human, to uh, uh, that that he became a man for us. The humiliation in particular is that as a man, he's not always using his divine powers. Mm. But that is distinct from the incarnation because Jesus is incarnate his entire life on earth mm-hmm. before he dies after he is after he dies as well right In, most particularly after he rises from the dead three days later and we want to say he is still a man right now sitting at the right hand of the father uh so mm-hmm. he is mm-hmm. incarnate the incarnation is still ongoing i'll let you know when it stops and <laughs> it won't uh but but his humiliation has stopped and that is he is no longer uh, uh 
setting aside his divine powers, right? Uh, you see this. He does not uh, teleport everywhere, which I would think would be one of the prime advantages <laughs> of being the son of God. Because yeah. you don't have to walk anywhere. But he walks everywhere. He does. I mean, <laughs> he didn't even like snap and make a car appear, which it's better, right? Like a good neighbor. <laughs> I do have a question. Yeah. That's, let's mark the time on this because it might be heretical and you're going to have to cut it later. Mm. So... So we talk, we talk about the incarnation and I don't even know if this is a question. I'm just going off the top of the dome here. We talk about the incarnation as being a very specific point in time, mm-hmm. but we also know that Jesus, the second part of the Trinity existed before the incarnation. What did he look like before the incarnation? Do we know? Was, I mean, what do we, what, what is it? <laughs> Who is it? Yeah, I mean, God is spirit, the scriptures say. God is, uh, you know, beyond comprehension. He's not a corporeal being, so to speak. He is other, which is why it's kind of natural to think, well, God and man, we need some distance between those two and keep it at all times. And the second person of the Trinity, we confess, is eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Uh, So you're right, always existing, even before let's just say one or two BC, there is no zero. Uh, But when you ask, what does he look like, right? That's the same as asking, what does the father look like? No one has seen the father, Jesus said, except for the son of man who descended from the father and ascended to him, right? He's talking about himself. What does he look like? He looks like, I guess, however he chooses to reveal himself to us. So he's revealed mm-hmm. himself to us in his word, even prior to Christ's birth. Mm-hmm. And certainly he uh, occasionally, for a time, made himself visible. So you get those strange angels that visit and Abraham and they're referred to as Lord. Mm-hmm. You have uh, the angel of the Lord who stops Abraham's hand to kill Isaac and yet mm-hmm. Abraham addresses him as Lord. Mm-hmm. You have a number of other appearances. The fancy word is theophany. Uh, God, God appearance, right? But, so is that Jesus then? I think yes. I mean, okay. it, maybe it's difficult to parse uh, which like person of the Trinity is there. But yeah, absolutely. Our confession is Jesus is Lord, which not mm-hmm. only means kind of a finger in the eye of, the, of Caesar, who thinks he's Lord, mm-hmm. but also a kind of a, a confession that Lord that's mentioned all over the Old Testament. Yeah, we, we say that's Jesus. Always has been, always will be. So, but what's different is, you know, he may have appeared for a time as the angel of the Lord or come as a man in some way, but those were temporary God sightings, if you will, right? <laughs> Theophanies. Uh, National uh, Enquirer. <laughs> well, you see that you see that in other uh, pre-incarnate it, it, Christ spotted. Yeah, yeah, you see that in other religions too, right? That gods can take. Uh, come in the form of of this kind of animal or that kind of mm. animal, you know, but they they don't actually become a bull or whatever. That would be like sub God. Mm. You just wouldn't want to do that. That's that's what the incarnation. That's what's surprising about the incarnation. Maybe is our God does Christ Jesus did not just take up the kind of like costume of a man for a while. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, uh, he was. And he can snuff it off whenever he wants. Right. He went all in. Like yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. Tiny baby on up, all in mm. as a mm-hmm. as a human. Yeah, there's this passage in Colossians that said Christ is the image of the invisible God, and the Greek word is ikonos. Like you can hear what that means, right? Mm-hmm. A picture, right? He is so he is the image of the invisible God. I think that really says it all, right? Yes, no one has ever seen the Father, but 
Christ Jesus is the image of God himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a question. We sort of touched on this a little bit, but what implications does it have for us that when Jesus left the earth, when he ascended into heaven after the, the resurrection, he did not slough off his <laughs> mortal frame, but he took his body to heaven with him or mm-hmm. went up in his, I don't know, It's a, this, this mind-body duality language is really hard to, to, to use rightly, I think, but what does it mean that he ascended as a man? That's a good question. It it means that it means that God is never distant from us. I mean, kind of in two directions, right? One that um, we've got a man on the inside, literally. <laughs> we, we, we've got one of us sitting on the throne of God. That is incredible, especially if this man has been given the judgment of the world, which which the scriptures clearly say the Father has given over all all judgment to the Son, and this guy is one of us. This guy is one of us who's suffered and bled for us, who loves us deeply and who who has been with us and, and suffered everything we have and yet without sin as our Savior, which, I mean, to put it crassly, it's good to have to know the judge. <laughs> <laughs> that's what a Christian does in a very real sense, slightly different ju- judicial system than ours. Uh, <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> the other thing is, is his human nature is exalted in a way maybe unlike any other man's. Uh, his his human nature is just like every other human being's. But look at what happens to him. Look at what he is able to do. Look at the power, the divine power that he is able to exercise in his exaltation as a man. So yes, he did not always uh, teleport around on earth. He did not always uh, walk through walls. He did not always, uh, you know, perform miracles, although sometimes he did. He didn't walk on water all the time. Mm-hmm. We see he does this all the time, in fact, after his resurrection. We see that he's mm-hmm. in multiple places at once, talking to Peter, talking to those two guys on the way to Emmaus. We see that walls and locked doors don't stop him. Uh, we see that he can still eat fish like a man. He shows that yeah. in Luke's gospel. Uh, but but then it makes very good sense why he can make amazing promises like, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. And not be like, I'm going to be a disembodied spirit or I'm going to be thinking happy thoughts at you till the end of the age. No, I'm going to be with you. And uh, something that he promised before he died, which is, uh, this is my body. This is my blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and eat it. Take it and mm-hmm. drink it. While that is still maybe baffling to our minds, it's incredibly possible with the fact that he is able in his human body uh, – to, to, to be exercising the, the majesty of God's nature and all of his powers and attributes. So, so that's uh, one of the small reasons why the incarnation is important. I, I just think in general, this, uh, I think this is behind your question, Rachel. Hmm. We have our best image of what eternal life is going to be like in Jesus. The fact that he is free of sin, and this is especially after his resurrection. He's he's glorious in his in his human body, and yet his human body is not limited by all the things that limit us. And John's uh, epistle says this: it says, uh, "We don't know what we will be at the last day, uh, but we know that we will be like him. When we see him face to face, we know that we'll be like him," which indicates that our bodies will be glorified just like his glorious body. Hmm. Do you think Jesus pooped? <laughs> after he was resurrected from the dead. I uh this is speculation which is not theology but uh, I'm yeah let's just go ahead and say no. But he did eat. 
did he eat? What was he going to I don't know. I, I've heard at least one uh, other theologian, again, speculate, which is not the way we like to do theology. Right. Uh, never go beyond the text. Disclaimer. Uh, but one, at least one person speculated, like, was there any of that before the fall into sin? Yeah. That's what We've I want to know. That. <laughs> they're eating fruit all the time. You would, you know. You would think. Right. <laughs> but then maybe, <laughs> this is highly speculative. Maybe. Was it waste before the fall? Maybe. Was, maybe there's a perfect absorption of all nutrients. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly efficient system. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I'm going off track. But I do think it is cool that, that Jesus ate fish in, you know, after the resurrection. That's, yeah. Fish is delicious. You do ask a question I can't get around, I guess. So. Yes. <laughs> We're done here. My work is done. Goodbye. <laughs> Okay, but slightly related to that. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm on my edge of my seat. Not really. Not really. Sort of. But what does it mean for us in our bodies here that Jesus also had a body but didn't sin? Like, what does that mean for us in our flesh, in our bodies? Especially, I don't know, I guess when we look forward to our resurrection too, what do we know about what we will be like in our resurrected body, I guess. Yeah. I, I think the most important thing to realize is the body is not bad. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's lots of things that would tempt us to think that. Brie brought up one of them. <laughs> I mean, there are lots of things, other things that go wrong with our bodies that we'd rather not have. Mm -hmm. uh, there are lots of things I can't do, like fly around the world in my body, uh, unless I use a plane. I mean, you know, so... It, you know, the, the matrix, right? Free your mind. So the goal is to escape mm. your body, I guess. Dodge um, bullets. And uh, actually that was, that was an idea long before they had uh, bullet time, believe it or not. Mm. Uh, I mean, there, there was a whole heresy that, that kind of uh, a Christian heresy that had the idea that really there was like a good, bad, a good God and a bad God. And the bad God had kind of trapped us in human matter, like our bodies and the good God had made us free souls and, and the goal then is to kind of liberate yourself. Um, uh, is that Gnosticism? That's what it is. Yeah. Okay, there we go. In everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes, I mean, you know, the real Gnostic system was a little more, way more complicated and weird. Uh, but <laughs> but the kind of basic, uh, this, is, this pervades Eastern religions also, just the idea that we're really trying to escape this meat. Mm -hmm. Body yeah. bad, spirit good, and they're not yeah. actually united. Yeah, 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 yeah. That they're totally separable and they're still living on. Even maybe not the body, but the the real thing, the soul. That's all. The, the that's the nut and this husk we can just slough off, right? No ghost so, in the shell metaphor. Yeah, it's the ghost Christ, that matters, not the shell. <laughs> mm -hmm. Christ proves this wrong, right? I mean, especially his continuing, ongoing incarnation. He is mm -hmm. he is not stopped being uh, true God and true man. So in, in a way reminds us, refreshes our memory that the body itself is not sinful in its essence, right? Uh, and the body itself is something that is good. It was created by God in the beginning. Despite sin's corruption of it, uh, it still is It still is good as God created it. And, uh, and the Lord is able to redeem it. The Lord is able to take it up and be unashamed of that in Christ Jesus. So then we have respect for our bodies as well. The bodily resurrection, I think, is probably the thing you're you're getting at most to. Mm -hmm. Christ Jesus rose in his body. Yeah. There, there. I don't think John Updike was a was he he passed through a Lutheran church. I think I don't know if he's really a model uh, a theologian, but he has this great poem 
where he basically goes into all sorts of things like, unless it's a real resurrection, get out of here, right? Unless the amino acids knit together and rekindled life, right? Easter doesn't matter. And his point is you can't, you can't uh, just metaphoricalize your uh, Easter into, well, you know, in spring, everything's all happy and the bunnies come out and, and uh, you know, after a long winter, it's all getting fresh again. And that's what the resurrection kind of means. And it'd be nice if we had a fresh start in life too and just kind of, you Ooh. know. Ooh. He says, I mean, okay, I guess, I guess that makes me feel good for a while, but that won't help me when I'm dying. That no. won't, I mean, Christ Jesus is risen from the dead, truly. Mm-hmm. In his body, the very yeah. same one that was crucified, the head, the holes. That's the one that's alive again. He didn't Which, just say, Oh, great. Uh, my sentence on earth is over. I'm free yeah. to go back to being pure spirit for all of eternity. That you're also, right. Yep. He rose in the body with the holes, and then he's still, that's who he is. Mm-hmm. And that's the promise of our resurrection. Ours is going to be like his. We are going to follow after him. So, the people you know who die in the faith, they are going to rise in their bodies. I don't know. I don't know what age or exactly what they'll look like, <laughs> uh, but they will look glorious and uh, and they will be free of all their difficulties. I'm sure the glasses are gone. I'm looking forward Dang to that. Dang it. Too. I like these though. <laughs> well, I mean, you can always have good fashion in heaven probably. And there's going to be. I'm going to be there. It's not going to be a disembodied existence in the new heavens and earth either. Like, it is still very difficult to talk about it much beyond speculation because it yeah. will be perfect in all the ways that we can just even experience that. Yeah. No, it's mind blowing. I do maybe off topic. I love to like think about and this might be weird and morbid. I love to think about like on the last day when all the bodies rise up, like how amazing and all like and the people that are cremated, like are their ashes just going to like <laughs> together? I, it's just like mind blowing. It's just so cool. I don't know. I love it. Yeah, the Lord will accomplish it. Uh, I mean, yeah. But this does show why, I mean, Christians, similar to Jews, have have cared about the body. Mm-hmm. It'd be easy to just say, well, you're dead. I mean, this is no longer my loved one. They're dead. They're in heaven. They're with Jesus. So I don't care about this body. Uh, but actually, Christians have never gone to that conclusion. Mm-mm. If anything, they've gone overboard the other way to say, no, this this body matters. Not that we really have to preserve it. We don't have to go to the full like Egyptian mummy thing. <laughs> uh, get out the chemicals, make sure it's perfectly preserved because if you lose a finger or something, then it won't come back on the last right. day. No one's ever said that. But, but the fact that we believe in the resurrection of the body, mm-hmm. that our Lord Jesus Christ deigned to come into this flesh, mm-hmm. means that we show great respect to that body. We put mm-hmm. him in a place, mm-hmm. and uh, whenever possible at least. Uh, and, and that itself is a confession. I mean, why, would, why would churches waste that kind of money to have empty farmland, empty property to just put dead bodies in? Mm-hmm. You'd have to be crazy, or you'd have to believe that it's going to be a pretty glorious. We're prepping for one day that we will see yeah. when everybody will be raised there, and uh, and that's part of the comfort. You know, it is comforting, of course, to go to the cemetery to to be with the loved ones. Um, uh, some people talk to them. And I think there's a way in which that's not offensive in any way. We miss these people, and and it's a place to go. But on top of all of that, every Christian should lay this really capstone, which is this is the place where my dad, my child. My wife is going to rise from the dead. Yes. Resurrection mm. spot. That's it. That's yeah. it, baby. That's uh, like it. all my family know that when I go on, do not cremate me. Do not throw my ashes into a volcano or whatever. But <laughs> I would have more <laughs> throw my ashes <laughs> in <that> doom. 
I would like to be planted in the ground like a seed so that when I pop up and preferably next to somebody that I know so that, you know, when the resurrection comes, I'll have company. (laughs) I laugh, but you're right that these funeral preparations, we make a very bold confession about our belief in the resurrection and our belief in Christ who has been resurrected for us already. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sorry, one more story and we can move on. But I was a pastor in North Dakota in the middle of nowhere, if I can say that. It was it was somewhere to me uh, and to them. Uh, we might not, I never knew heard of Barney, North Dakota or Great Bend. And I was today I years old. There, uh, <laughs> You know, and they, they're all farmers there. There's that's there's no oil there, unfortunately, but lots of good farmland. And mm-hmm. both of my churches had cemeteries. And you just think like, that's that's real money wasted mm-hmm. or invested, right? And they mm-hmm. thought it was invested in burying, burying Christians. Mm-hmm. And they care about, they know even if you're in the basement and they turned you around and put a bag over your head, you still know which way east and west is, which me come from the city, I still didn't learn that skill. Uh, but all this, all the, all the churches and all the cemeteries were lined up. So people are going to stand up on the last day. If you imagine, you know, standing up and they're going to look East. They're going to, you know, as the lightning flashes from the East to the West. So the son of man will come. And so they kind of took that as, okay, well, there's our cardinal direction, right? We'll face East. We'll look toward the sunrise and, and the, S-O-N, sunrise, Christ's return. (laughs) And uh, so that was, that was kind of exciting and and great sermon fodder. Uh, But, but the cool thing is the pastor's tradition, at least got buried the other direction. (gasps) Whoa. And the idea there is like, well, they led the congregation in life. So, I mean, they'll be out of a job on that day, but they're like, (laughs) this is their last, they get to stand up and have one more sermon, which is just like, all right, I told you it's time to go. Get in the car. We're going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> La- so, Pastor's last sermon. I told you so. I told you so. Yeah. Shortest sermon good. ever. You're looking forward to that one, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you talked about how there's somewhat of this idea of, oh, we're just going to get rid of this body, this husk, and that's sort of a modern concept that mm-hmm. we face, but. We also go to great lengths to embalm bodies uh, nowadays and like incredible expenses for, you know, funerals and burying and all of that. What is that reflective of as a society? Like when did we start trying to preserve the bodies so dramatic, like extremely? Because- like I know the Egyptians embalmed, yeah, yeah. but I don't think that was like the norm throughout history. But in modern times, I feel like it's it's hard to not embalm someone if you're not going to cremate them. Right. I mean, the, so the, they put Jesus on the slab in the new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Mm-hmm. What that probably means is no other bodies had ever rotted in that spot before because it was very common and still is in some parts of the world that you lay the body there you leave it for a year or two so it decomposes. Then you come back and you gather up the bones that are left and mm-hmm. put those in a little box, mm-hmm. you know, and you stuck that, you got like a nice cubby in there and then the slab's free for the next mm-hmm. guy to rot on. Um, mm-hmm. That's how they did tombs back then. Yeah. That's kind of, that seems grisly and weird to us, but it's very common in other parts of the world. And uh, no, I, I think you're right that they're, that just to say we care about the bodies and to look back in history and say, you know, Christians buried or made elaborate cemeteries or whatever 
isn't to say that every practice you might find at your local mortuary has a long standing history. Certainly the chemical thing, which I'm just ignorant on this. Somebody else probably knows a lot more and there's probably a good book on it somewhere. <laughs> your library. Uh, but um, yeah, not all of that stuff was done in the past. Obviously they didn't use those kind of chemicals on people and uh, they're, what weren't regulations like there are in some mm. places. So, so I think it's, it's, it's good to notice that, uh, things change and that doesn't mean that's necessarily good. Uh, I, I think what maybe has changed in some ways is that the, the time it takes. So in the old days, right, you've got to have a picture window so you can carry the body out of it. If it, should come to that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the wakes are called that because you do it in your house. Like you, somebody should sit up with the body all night. You stay awake. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's in your living room still. And then they're going to take it out. Like the procession is not just a showy thing or the procession is we're going to, we're taking this out the door to the church. We Not everybody has cars or we maybe we can't afford a carriage or whatever it is. So I think in some ways we take way less time. We've got a whole company to deal with that. We just pass oh, them and off. Oh, we have you know? very, very much less contact too. Yeah. yeah. That it used to be the job of, you know, the women in the family to wash the body and prepare it for burial, you know, that yeah. now mm-hmm. this is completely professionalized. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, don't, I mean, take it or leave it with all of the kind of modern embalming techniques. Uh, I think there may be a point to make that our number one concern with the body is kind of cosmetic, right? Mm-hmm. We are obsessed with health and wellness mm-hmm. and yep. looks and all these things, which that's that I don't think is the point of uh, the incarnation. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly with Jesus, right? The scriptures say he had no form or comeliness that we should gaze on him. He was not he was not the most beautiful man that ever existed or anything. Uh, Warner Salmon. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> sorry, Warner Salmon. Someone was wrong. The face of Jesus that, that, has well, every, that everybody has. <laughs> that is Jesus. a great question that I have. So there's a whole bunch of follow-up corollaries to this discussion <laughs> of the incarnation that I want to make sure we get to. A way different direction I thought we'd take. <laughs> Welcome to the lounge. <laughs> Well, so, I, I, yeah, I didn't realize we'd be getting into burial practices. <laughs> I didn't either. One thing I want to ask about is, what is your take on theatrical depictions of Jesus? I mean, obviously, oh. he's a real live human and therefore, you know, okay for a biopic. I'm just going to go there because you're here and you can take the flack for this, not me. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people have found their faith very much strengthened by, you know, programs like The Chosen. And I always, I don't know, I it, it feels weird to see an actor play Jesus. What are your theological thoughts on this? <laughs> well, I, I think I'm already on record somewhere saying I kind of like The Chosen. I only saw the first. Well, scene. that's the thing. The people I know who have watched it, they all say, oh, my goodness, I love my Lord even more now, which to me I, doesn't so I, seems I mean, like a good thing. I did. I did think that Jesus was a little too schmarmy in some places, like just, just a little too. I liked that he had some mean edges every once in a while. I, I thought he was they took a lot of liberties, but I liked it because I thought it was it was an artistic liberty that actually liked the scriptures like it planted mm. easter eggs for the christian who knew the bible and they're like oh i see what they did there i love that so <laughs> it's just a good tv show which is nice to have I like um, jim caviezel like let's what's that he's the he's the passion of the christ passion one, right? of the christ yeah, yeah i still haven't seen that and nope. i'm sure my I jesus can't. in my mind is mm. probably whatever horrible tnt version <laughs> they were playing in grade school we watched those mm. we watched those uh, old testament story uh made for tv shows all the time oh, i'm gonna yeah. straight up be honest with you in my brain jesus is 
Viggo Mortensen as Aragon from the oh, Lord of the Rings. I don't hate it. It's yeah, it just is like that's my default. That's my default. Yeah. I could go with that. Well, he was definitely a savior archetype. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, anyway, <laughs> what was the question? I don't, I don't remember. The question is your theological opinion on theatrical depictions of the man Jesus. <laughs> I, there's definitely something strange about it. So uh, in the church. We have uh, the pastor is often styled to stand in the stead and by the command of Christ, like he says, mm. and yet we don't actually try to dress him up in a robe. Like the reason he wears robes or vestments is not to look like what we think Jesus looked like. Come to think of it, I wonder if that's why the orb <laughs> and the cincture is kind of like popular among non-Lutheran Protestant churches and then a little bit among some Lutherans is because it kind of looks like, you know, if it were a little dirtier, maybe this <laughs> looks like Bible times Jesus, right? Uh, that was never the intention of vestments, either in the beginning when they kind of were just the normal clothes or even in the high middle ages when they were definitely trying to say this is uh, important things are happening here mm. but the and yes this man is studying is is giving us the gifts of christ he's standing in the stead and by the command of him but even so it wasn't like trying to play act it um mm -hmm. or be dramatic in the same sense so i think that's interesting you look at depictions of jesus some of the earliest ones are the image of the good shepherd which is that's like fantastic on a couple of levels right uh it's a picture that jesus himself gave of himself mm -hmm. i don't mean picture to denigrate it he said i am the good shepherd mm -hmm. so we should learn what that it means from his words and his actions but but he gives us this picture right and so he's depicted as the shepherd uh when we start to see just regular pictures of jesus or you think of icons i don't think their number one concern is did i get his eye color correct <laughs> You know, did, were he, did he have big eyebrows or were they kind of modest? How big was his beard? Not the questions you're after. The, the concern is, right, is he the savior of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're more concerned with what's on his head, you know, what kind of symbols are surrounding him, what's he doing than with, uh, you know, what color is his hair. Um, so I guess I'm not bothered. I don't think, uh, I don't think we're being sacrilegious necessarily. Not that you couldn't have an actor that would be sacrilegious. Mm -hmm playing Jesus. Uh, but but I certainly don't think it's necessary in the sense that it's ever our goal to kind of LARP Christianity. Mm. So. But you're you're right. You do thank you for putting that in historical perspective that, you know, the artistic depiction of Jesus, you know, from iconology from from early icons on up, you know, in and also in oratorios and, you know, musical works. I do love the fact that traditionally Jesus is a base. Me too. It is, I bet you do. I'm a tenor. <laughs> Peter is a tenor. No, he's, he's, a tenor you guys. he's not. He's a bass. It's science. Bass too. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that this this desire, and I, I suppose this this human desire to try to depict Jesus comes from an acknowledgement and, and a gratitude for the fact that he is human. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's like we're trying to make him more relatable, but he already is. Yeah, right. to, to admit that he is relatable, I don't know. Let, let's go biblical for a second. Please, it is, that's idea. It is <laughs> astounding that we're sitting here talking about pictures at all, given the Old Testament, right? And and probably what we've always heard: if you know any commandment besides like don't oh, kill people, you probably know the graven images. Right? Gravy, gravy images. Children so hungry. Make a graven image. 
It's in some famous movie too, besides the Ten Commandments. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so God does have a commandment about artwork. It seems in the in the, the what we call the Second Commandment uh, or the First Commandment, right? First Commandment. Other people call it the Second Commandment. But you look at the Old Testament and you immediately see that that idea that God doesn't like art or God doesn't like depictions can't be the case because God says, don't make an image of anything in heaven or above the earth or on the earth, creeping around, no animals, none of that. Then he says, all right, here's how you're going to make the tabernacle. You're going to sew pictures of pomegranates oh and gosh, animals and all this stuff. right? <laughs> and then it's there's going to be cherubim on the ark. never <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then when they build the temple, we got huge cherubim outside of it. But I think the ark is the best, right? So on the thing that you're supposed to look at towards when you pray, the place where the blood's supposed to be sprinkled, the mercy seat, like Mm -hmm. the place where God says, my presence, the smoky glory cloud from... Smoky glory cloud. He's going to be there. That's where they put angels. So you have to look toward the angels in order to like... That sort of sounds like graven images. Yeah, yeah. And these are commanded by God even. Mm-hmm. Or you or you have that, that serpent on the pole, right? You know, look to this and you'll yeah. be saved. Almost as if it's it's a means of grace, mm-hmm. which is uh, astounding. So I think that's just helpful to see the commandment is not about artwork or great or carvings. And not a whole lot said about acting, I suppose. But um <laughs> <laughs> the, the the point is this idolatry, this worship mm-hmm. of the thing, this mm-hmm. association, not that it's used as a tool with worship, but that actually comes the object of worship. Actually, yeah. the serpent on the pole is a great example of this because in Hezekiah's day, it had its own high place. They still had that serpent yeah. on the pole and they're worshiping it. It's mm-hmm. called Nehushtan or whatever. Mm-hmm. Good baby name. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, uh, and and Hezekiah breaks the thing that God had Moses make, which is also astounding. But I think that just goes to show yeah. when it is an idol, a, a God that's being worshipped. Anything an idol. Anything. But that doesn't mean we have this fear of of depictions. And the way the, new, the, the Christians in the New Testament put this is, like, you understand why we wouldn't have pictures of the invisible God. Mm. But things have changed with Jesus. We don't know if he had... Blue hair or uh, blue eyes or brown eyes. I think we know he didn't have blue hair. (laughs) I'm going to laugh so hard if he has blue hair, though, because he's Jesus and he can do that if he he wants wants to. Who am I to say? Uh, We don't know what exactly his face looked like, if his nose was big or not, but we know he looks like a human and we know what those look like. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think this kind of is my answer to all the questions about does he need to be. Middle Eastern looking? Does he need to be white? Does he need to be black? He needs to be a human being mm. uh, because because that's what we're trying to express with a, with a depiction of Jesus. Is this is a, this is a real man, a real human being who came, who suffered, who died for us? Uh, you know, if you want to be historical and depict somebody who looks like a first century Jew, that makes a lot of sense. If you just want to depict uh, what would look like a normal human being, uh, that also has a sense to it. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the theology behind it. What his word says, just having a picture of a guy. The atheists love to put the picture of Obi Wan Kenobi up and joke, right? <laughs> Share if you truly believe. Yeah, yeah. Click Amen. <laughs> I mean, they're they're making fun of something that I think is is wise. If if we mm. think the important part is getting is matching. Is matching these human depictions of it. Having a like, guy with a beard and robes. Yeah. Yeah. And a Jedi braid. 
Yeah. <laughs> if you think that's the important part, yeah, I, Christianity has become really silly. Yeah. But, but, the, oh, but the actual good reason that the Christians for so many centuries have put pictures of Jesus of some kind in their worship, in their church services at home, is because our God is a man. He's not this piece of wood. He's not a man that looks just like this, but he could be. Mm-hmm. So what say you sort of taking this one step further when we talk about portrayal, like physical, tangible portrayals that are of Jesus that are not Jesus? When we talk about like crucifixes versus mm. empty crosses versus manger scenes, like what is there a prevailing? Op- I mean, that seems to be a prevailing conversation, at least in our Facebook group. Yeah. And I'm just I don't know. I. Let's dive in. Well, we'll yeah. let's do one at a time. We'll save the manger for later because that's closer yeah. to Christmas. But yeah, this whole crucifix, that is to say a cross with a body on it or not with a body on it. Talk us through those theological distinctions. Yeah. There's, there seems to be some prescriptivity between them. And I just, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what to believe. I, I don't know. I can't suss that out myself. Okay. Uh, so terms, a uh, cross is is a Roman torture device. It's mm-hmm. what the word excruciating comes from. Mm-hmm. Crucifixus, uh, to crucify. Cruciatus. Yeah, to nail somebody, to tie somebody up on a thing and let them die. And it would hurt. Mm-hmm. That's a cross. And it's surprising, I suppose, that Christians would have crosses, that anybody would want to have crosses connected with their group mm-hmm. because you wouldn't put an electric chair or a poison pill mm-hmm. as your sign. And it wasn't it wasn't just a, an excruciating way to die. It was also a humiliating way to die. Very tons of shame. Yeah, they let you hang out there on the gibbet for a while. And know, so. like not a lot of clothes on either. No, no, no. Hanging out. There's there's yeah. debate whether uh, whether they made an exception for Jews or not, as far as I'm aware. Uh-huh. You know, whether Jesus actually was naked or whether he got some kind of small dispensation for Jews who especially didn't want to be naked. But hmm, that's fascinating. Uh, yeah, yeah. In our word, so again, the word crucifix also means a cross, mm-hmm. uh, but it often has, I mean, it's kind of the verbal form. So it often is reserved for a cross that has an actual a, a corpus on it. That's Latin for body. Mm-hmm. It has an actual depiction of some kind of a man being crucified and this manner this case would be Jesus. So yeah, I think there are there there is a big confusion that has arisen that somehow having Jesus on the cross depicted or not having Jesus on the cross depicted means something different. It doesn't. Mm. The cross is a symbol of the death of Jesus, for us at least. Uh, I suppose for anybody, it would just be the symbol of death. Mm. For us, it takes on special meaning because our God died on a cross. That's what we confess. Uh, That sounds crazy to the rest of the world. It definitely sounded crazy at the time of Christ. Mm -hmm. Because again, a humiliated thing. You want to identify your God with this? One of the earliest depictions, uh, period, of Christianity is this wonderful graffiti uh, that was found on a wall. And it's got a picture of a cross and it's got this dude, his buns are hanging out. And uh, and his head is a is a jackass, a donkey. What? And it says next to it, Alexa Menos, that's some guy they're making fun of, worships his God. And it's got him next to this 
donkey man on a cross, right? Huh. So this is this is like negative proof, right? This is somebody mocking Christianity and saying, look at these That's crazy people. Crazy. They worship a, a guy who died naked on a cross. That's ridiculous. That's your God. Ha ha ha. When was wow. this from? I don't, this I, is early. I'll I'll look it up while we talk because I love this Alexa Menos thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good baby name too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> name of so, the <laughs> idol, but but I don't know. I don't know Alexa Menos. But if I if you were here today, I think he would say, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, around the it. year two hundred, so very wow. early. Early. fiction. So, awesome. uh, yeah, our God's not a jackass. Uh, that's our point of difference. But our God, <laughs> yeah. our God is on the cross, dead. He died on the cross. Mm-hmm. That's our confession. It's our great hope, right? Paul says this. It's even the theme for the LCMS convention next year. Plug plug. Hey. We preach Christ crucified. Amen. I want yep. to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He said in one, I like portrayed him publicly as crucified. Some people have argued that he actually like depicted it. I think he means with his preaching, but uh, but it's a visceral visual word. Yeah. With his preaching, he tried to paint the picture that this is our God who died for us on in this most humiliating way. So uh, all of the earliest kind of crosses, they're about the death of Jesus. You can't get away from that. Right. Uh, so whether it's got a, a very beautiful uh, or very well-carved picture of a dead man with a crown of thorns and all the blood and all the muscles rippling in the right places or whatever, or or sagging in the right places because he died, or whether it's just a cross because, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time drawing people, especially <laughs> with the legs, like it's not easy. I can't draw of- feet or hands. Like that's the last frontier for me. Yeah. As <laughs> for me, hands always look like gorilla hands, and it, yes, I, I feel like that would be not appropriate. How many people have club feet? Like I don't think Jesus had that. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a harder thing to do artistically. So it doesn't matter. All of those are the same. I mean, in a sense, every cross really is like a stylized crucifix. Mm. Um, I, I think that's really the way we ought to see it. Um, there are other symbols for other teachings of the church. Uh, there are symbols for the resurrection. Uh, the pomegranate was one because you can mm. see it burst forth with all the fruit, right? Mm-hmm. And there are others, butterflies sometimes. Calyxes. Uh, lilies, right? Yeah. So uh, there are plenty of symbols for the resurrection, but the symbol of the cross, whether it's got a Jesus on it or not, is Definitely a symbol of the crucifixion. Yeah. I just think that's helpful to clear it up. Uh, some people have said it, it symbolizes the resurrection. And I know sometimes we drape that little white cloth mm-hmm. on it, which certainly puts a happy spin on the cross, which is a little funny. You got to admit that, you know. <laughs> right. uh, but it, it's funny. I mean, it's awkward. It's it's uh, ironic, right? Mm, Juxt- very. Juxtaposing two things mm. that don't fit together because of what we believe. Well, right? it softens it, doesn't it? Like the cross is ugly. The yeah. cross is, I mean, that's for us, right? It's, and so we sort do we soften that blow by? I, I think sometimes we do. Let's admit thinking it. about it that mm-hmm. way. But let me, let me speak well about it for a while. I think we could soften it. We could just be trying to turn something that is serious. Like there's no way you can say the crucifixion of Jesus is not serious. Right. Okay? Mm. It doesn't have to be somber. It's not like a requirement to see tears or you're not a real Christian. Right. <laughs> Um, but it's it's not really a laughing matter, even though we mm-hmm. do a lot of laughing here. Um, I love laughing. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, but but uh, uh, so yeah, there's a way in which we can just try and like turn it into a hallmarky card thing that mm-hmm. would be appropriate for a yeah. coffee table. I think there mm-hmm. are there are some. I mean, that thinking of that white cloth draped over the cross. 
that it, it can be a desire to distance yourself from the ugliness yeah. of the crucifixion. Yeah. But it can also be a confession that God himself softened the resurrection or softened the crucifixion with the resurrection. As any, you know, children's church Sunday school kid will tell you, Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. You know, that they yeah. all just want to go straight to that because and they can because God made that possible. And and let's 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 rehabilitate that kind of draped cross. I'm not condemning anybody who does that either. Let's rehabilitate in this point. The cross is remains for us a beautiful symbol. We love as Christians to see the cross with or without Jesus on it mm-hmm. because it's the symbol of our salvation. Mm-hmm. We we do a wonderful thing in English where we call the day that Jesus died. Good Friday. Yeah, not bad Friday, not sad Friday, not dark Friday. Not fair to middling Friday. <laughs> well said. <laughs> not, not, why not awesome Friday, right? Yeah, why not great? Uh, the point is, it, this is truly our highest good, is that Jesus mm-hmm. would die. And this juxtaposition, this ironic thing is all over John's gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where uh, uh, you know, his blood be on us and our people, the mm-hmm. Jews cry. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's expedient for one man to perish for the people. Yes, it is. Uh, mm-hmm. All these wonderful, you know, all this to say, the cross is a good symbol, even mm-hmm. if it is a symbol of a man's death. Because this death is what saved our life. True. Um, what gives us eternal life. Uh, and that is true even without yet talking about the resurrection. I just think that's helpful for us to realize that if the cross is bad, our goal is to get away from it mm-hmm. and to not talk about it as quickly as possible and go on to the happy thing, which is the resurrection. For us as Christians, both belong together. Jesus died to save us. He rose to save us. Mm-hmm. In fact, his death and his resurrection really like just let's just call it a weekend, okay? <laughs> let's call it all three right. days and we're gonna we'll be there for all three. You know? Try do um Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a hear this in the church. So I hope that's yes. helpful. No, I think that, I more think things that's... connected to that would be helpful. So I think what I hear you saying is that people who like carasses with corpus on versus people who prefer it not should not yell at each other very much. And that would be not a good start. Um, <laughs> yes. and, then, and then I think I think the point Bree brought up is worth pointing out. Let's just make sure why it is. I, mm-hmm. I think I understand. I understand exactly why a person would want to object to the symbol of Jesus died dead on the cross. It it is not at first glance, and certainly without not without some explanation that is words, mm-hmm. not going to be a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. To those who believe what the gospel says, who know what that picture means, mm-hmm. that is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. They're just like that centurion, right? Mm-hmm. Truly, this is the son of God, right? Yeah. They, they're they're proud as a proud as Alexa Menos could be mm-hmm. to have someone get it right. You know, uh, maybe they thought it was a laughing matter, but he knows. No, this is my highest good. This mm-hmm. is the thing Paul preached. This is what I'm going to preach. This is what I'm going to believe. This is what I'm going to cherish. I might even want to hang one in my house, right? Yeah. Uh, and just re- again, a, a couple of reasons why the empty cross can't be portrayed as a symbol of the resurrection is it, just, it, it's not, it's still a symbol of death. In some ways, if it's empty, it's ready for its next victim. Right. Mm. Right. I mean, it's empty. It's ready for you. I guess I'm next. Maybe. Mm. Uh, Christ is clogging it on a crucifix, which is kind of <laughs> neat. I like that. It's clogged up death and, and uh, it's no longer for us. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe another thing is uh, I some hear times hear the objection that well Jesus is no longer dead right yeah you know, 
kind of like, my God is still dead. He is risen. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. He didn't stay on the cross. He was, he came down. Well, it's funny you should put it that way because he was given that offer and rejected it in (laughs) in that many words, right? Mm -hmm. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Uh, This was the devilish word that Jesus did not obey. Mm -hmm. And when Peter tried to step in with the sword to cut off that guy's ear and say, I'm going to stop this. Uh, Jesus said, no, no, uh, shall I not drink the cup my father has given me? Uh, to Pilate, he said, this is the hour for which I've come. Uh, this In John's gospel, this is this is the hour when God is glorified, when I am raised up on the, on the gibbet, on the cross, for all men to be drawn to me by my death. So the goal is not to get off the cross. The goal is to accomplish our salvation by his death. Get the, the job done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is finished. Mm-hmm. He does say that. It's absolutely true. Our salvation is finished. So... Uh, and yet it's still something we as Christians want to treasure and prize, this one-time event that has an eternity of significance for us. And that's the point of a cross. Guess what? That's the point of every image or picture or symbol that we have in the church. It's the point of every day in the church is that we zoom in on some particular moment. Mm-hmm. I've ne- I know a lot of churches that have the ascension depicted in their church, and it's mm-hmm. Jesus with me up or he's about to ascend into heaven mm-hmm. and nobody ever makes the point well you know Jesus is already he's already ascended he can put his arms down <laughs> he's sitting. How, can we, how come he's not sitting at the right hand you know why don't you have a Jesus on a throne that would be more accurate that's where he is right now right um, I, I mean, I th- I'm being a little facetious here but no. I, th- I, <laughs> I, I just think I think people are, are making a, a big deal out of something that is we're zeroing in on a moment. It's right. unless you're going to do the whole drama, in which case it's going to be a long play, three year, thirty three years. <laughs> um, you're never gonna. You gotta. You gotta take a picture. You gotta pull the trigger on that camera and take right. a picture of what's going on. Right. We have some very particular moments we want to highlight in the Christian Church. Probably the ones that are in the creed. Right. That he suffered and died for us. That's what the crucifix or the cross shows in brief. Uh, his resurrection. We have all sorts of symbols for that too. Uh, and and it's uh, some people have statues of Jesus who's risen. We often have that lamb drawing from Revelation who looks like he's been slain, but behold, he lives. Uh, and and we have a very similar thing, by the way. Uh, somebody mentioned it with manger scenes, yeah. just to bring it back to the incarnation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry yeah. Christmas, everyone. <laughs> You've got all the various traditions about whether you put out the whole manger scene and oh, all yeah. of the surrounding things, right? The, uh, my mom, uh, who had like over 200 nativity scenes, I think she's Whoa. slowly starting to unload them. Uh, oh, holy moly. She's a Lutheran school teacher. And so she wanted to collect nativity scenes. And mm. once you get one, yeah. you get, you have to get, get all of them. That's what you get for the rest of your yep. yeah, career. Collect them uh, all. She had the one where you like add a piece each year. And, Ooh, you know, that's you a nice can, one. The fishmonger and the town, you yeah, know, piss boy and everything. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what? Every last, you know, every last town folk and every last animal. Yeah. Did you know there were rats underneath the stable? Those are in there. What? <laughs> you know, and I don't know, maybe there weren't any llamas, but. Uh, llamas? So, like, do you, have to, do you have to do that entirely historically accurate? Or you haven't really shown us the Christmas scene? No, of course not, right? Um, even if it's just Mary and Joseph and the baby, that's good. Is it okay that the wise men are there, even though, you know, technically? No, no, no. they don't show up till Epiphany. Wow. That's wrong. That as is, if you wow. believe that, you're wrong. When wise men arrive in Advent. I'm sorry, you guys. Whoa. As long as you show up on Epiphany, so the shepherds don't arrive. 
Well, you there's know, nothing until Christmas. Although I will say, I will say I mean, that the baby Jesus hangs out in an undisclosed him. location until Christmas Eve, and then <laughs> the baby is in the manger. That's elf on fantastic. a shelf. <laughs> I mean, but even the moment you put, the, yeah, you take him from the elf station and put him in the manger, like he's not a baby anymore. Why are you doing that, right? <laughs> so I, I'm again being facetious. I. I just think people have not thought that argument through if they're worried that the crucifix in some way implies that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. We're Christians. We we confess the same creed. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. We want to highlight sometimes this particular moment of the death of Jesus. In fact, in some ways, his resurrection is is manifest in the fact that we are living and believing in him always, and we are always talking about it. Uh, and in the same way, you know, we bring out the manger scenes around Christmas time, the time we're thinking about his birth, but we still confess his incarnation every single Sunday, even though it's not Christmas. He is, yes, not a baby. He did grow up. Uh, uh, but but we want when you want to depict the moment of his birth, uh, when you want to celebrate Christmas, you put out baby Jesus in the manger, and mm-hmm. that's totally fine, and and, and a fine confession. Uh, uh, you know, I suppose like how could you go wrong? I I do think it is <laughs> worth making sure that it is people. I've seen sometimes like we're in St. Louis, right? I'm sure there you can go online and buy the St. Louis Cardinals nativity scene, right? Where everybody sure is a Cardinal. It's got to be done. Stan Musial's Joseph, probably. I was thinking like actual birds. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay. I might not be the biggest baseball fan. Sorry. Sorry. No, I. I was also thinking baseball players playing the too many characters. Because I know how some people sense, can yeah. be, but I didn't want to be or, that. Or you know, precious but. moments. I never quite know what. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. they're people, right? Stylized yes. people. Uh, who are the? Who's the no face people? Willow something. Willow oh, Creek. That's yeah, a church. Willow Tree, right? <laughs> Willow oh, Tree. Yeah. yeah, Willow Creek. Yeah. Thank you. Willow yeah. Creek. I knew it was Willow Matter something or other. Horrible. <laughs> Jesus had a face, you know. Different table talk. <laughs> uh, so all of these, you know, again, all of these depictions are fine in as far as they go. I do think there's value in making sure it's it's definitely people because that's the point we're trying to confess with the manger scene in particular is his incarnation. God's become a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus for us. Um well, and, it'd, it'd be good if we're a human. And mm. some of you see some trendy sort of like pop culture kinds of, you know, nativity sets. Like I'm I'm looking at one here with Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein as Mary and Joseph. And you just wonder, who are you actually worshiping here? You know, your your pop culture fandoms or or Jesus? Yeah, well, I like that because I think it turns Jesus. It, it's honoring Jesus as a pop culture fandom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, I, I mean, I've, I've seen Star Wars characters, you know, or I've seen like Lord of the Rings characters posed like a Star Wars poster, right? And, you know, just to make the nerds mad, I guess. <laughs> uh, I guess we have our nerdery we might be a little upset about. But the point is, our, our we honor these major scenes, not because we think that really is Jesus in the manger, but because we, we love the event. We love the mm. confession. It's the truth of his coming, becoming man. Uh, and so I, I think for a Christian, that's the purpose of having a manger scene. I, I'm not going to begin to criticize whether you've got the, you know, the wood carved ones that maybe don't have detailed faces because it wasn't made by an artist in that sense. Or you've got the stained glass window one where they don't have faces, all their triangles. Like, I think these are all fine for whatever level of art you're working on. 
but all of them are all of them at their best for a Christian ought to be trying to give expression to and portrayal of the incarnation, the story of his birth. And so, I, I, you know, keep that in mind when you're shopping for nativities this year. <laughs> well, we've made it through our sheet. So anything else for the good of the cause? Let me ask one more question all right. about all right. the baby Jesus. All right. Could he have developed quicker than other babies? Like, do you think he could have walked as soon as he came out because he was Jesus? <laughs> I, well, uh, Rachel already kind of answered this, actually. Oh, okay. She wanted to talk about the humiliation of Jesus. Which, which is, yeah. Mm-hmm. We speak of this phrase, the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus, that the humiliation is he did not always or fully use his divine powers okay. as a man. So, yes, baby Jesus could have flown around the world and walked on water and all the things we saw. <laughs> Flying babies! <laughs> all the things he could have. I mean, that we do see him. We don't see him fly, I guess. We do see him no. do things uh, later in his life. Uh, but he set those things aside and did not always do that. Um, mm-hmm. the, one of the apocryphal gospels, which is one that is very obviously not original, uh, it comes at a later date and stuff, and also has other things that are sketchy about it. Uh, but it has like a great story of Jesus where like, you know, somebody steals his toy and he kills the kid. And then, uh, you know, he's not he scripture. <laughs> he's like, well, I feel bad. I'm going to heal him and raise him from the dead. And it, it does not sound, it does not accord with the rest of the scriptures right. by any means. <laughs> it doesn't sound uh, like him. But, but yeah, it also misses the point that in no way is Jesus using his divine powers for parlor tricks right right yeah he doesn't he he will not even use it to show the devil that he's powerful right he in fact when the devil presses him in the in the in the wilderness he goes even more humility right, mm-hmm. yeah. right? he's not going to do any of these things mm-hmm. i'll i'll wait for god i'll i'll be out here 40 days and die if i have to NBD guys that's how much i trust my father he'll take care of me mm-hmm. of course yeah. he could send legions of angels to stop me but the scripture should be fulfilled. I'm gonna, I'm gonna face the cross, right? So, uh, and where, and where he does show his miraculous powers again, not parlor tricks, but to heal people who are really in need, to raise a widow's son, mm-hmm. uh, to prove to the Pharisees that the authority to forgive sins has been given to men on earth. That's a good reason to raise this paralytic. I mean, that's 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 the, probably the one that's closest to the parlor trick when he's like, "Oh, you don't, you don't think I can forgive sins, huh? Well, how about this?" Watch me. I love the way that John John's John's gospel always refers to his miracles as signs that they're meant to reveal who he is and create faith in the people who witness them. That they're not for selfish reasons, like you Mm -hmm. took my toys. I couldn't think of a better mm. description of how our use of pictures or statues or nativity scenes or crosses on the wall, right? They ought to do the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Full circle moment. Beautiful. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> it's been an hour, so we should probably let you go back to do your Man, time work. flies when you're chatting with a pastor. You know, know right? right? This has been super fun. Thanks. Did we leave the oven on? Oh, no! <laughs> I always leave the oven on. It's sort of my thing. <laughs> You can ask my family. <laughs> Yikes. Hey, Chaplain Denzer, thanks for stopping in. Oh, Randomly, pleasure. of course. This was so unplanned. <laughs> Ladies, we'd love to know if you have a topic for our next kitchen table talk. 
these random <clears throat> conversations that happen with Chaplain Denzer when we put them on our calendar. Uh, let us know in our Facebook group, Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook, if you have a topic you'd like us to dig into and go on all kinds of random tangents with. You can also follow us on Instagram and message us there too, at Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Instagram. You can get Lutheran Ladies Lounge in your inbox. You can find out how to do that in the show notes for this episode, or you can email lutheranladies at kfuo.org and we'll get you signed up for our e-newsletter. Find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash lutheranladieslounge or on your favorite podcasting app or on the KFUO radio app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. KFUO Radio and the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast are underwritten in part by Wicking Vicar. Visit them online at wickingvicar.com. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us, too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org give.